a child of nine months, our attention was naturally drawn to what we would name our soon-to-be child. After learning that we would be having a boy, we both fell in love with the name Luke and Matthew. Like most people, planning to have a baby, selecting the name was going to be a really joyous decision. And after extensive back-and-forth deliberations, we finally decided to, to kind of wait until, until this child presented himself at birth. Our drive to the hospital, the morning in which we, we set out, was uneventful, but our son's birth became complicated and difficult. After a long and challenging labor, our cute little boy emerged into the world like a bruised and battered banana. We both sensed that this child's true identity was not a, a Luke or a Matthew. Back then, when not obsessing about becoming parents, we were big Kentucky Wildcat fans and loved watching their tiny little point guard, whose name was Travis Ford, compete among the big giant basketball players at Rupp Arena. That morning, looking at our tiny little battered boy, we almost instinctively knew that this kid's identity, his name, was Travis, and for 29 years he's lived up to that, to that name. This morning's gospel of Jesus arriving and at a county of Geneseus confronted by a nameless, a nameless man who had demons feels like, a, feels like a typical day in any large city. We're told this nameless man had no clothes, lived in a tomb, kept under guard, bound in chains and shackles until he periodically broke the bonds of his own captivity. But on that day, seeing Jesus, he falls down and shouts, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. And here Jesus asks, What is your name? What is your name? As social creatures, I think we're programmed almost into our DNA to want to name things around us, to help us understand and manage life by studying and naming the parts of the problems that we encounter to help us make sense of the world in which we live. When I come to the Israelis, Moses asked God, and say to them, the God of your father has sent me. And they ask, what is your name? What shall I tell them? What is your name? Is such a profound question. But in asking this possessed man his name, Jesus really is asking, he's really asking, who are you? Who are you? Who are you really? And in hearing this gospel, I think we're being asked to consider the same questions in our life. And it's a question we ask ourselves, I believe, throughout our life. Who are we? 
And the way we answer it often defines who we are as a person, what makes us happy, what brings us pleasure, and what we value in ourselves and the people in our lives that we surround ourselves with. In our story this morning, Jesus is clearly dealing with a very disturbed person who today we would consider mentally ill and suffering from some untreated medical infirmity, but not much different from the lost souls we see today held in captivity in our modern tombs disguised as sidewalks, alleyways, and bridge underpasses in every city and the richest nation in the world. The man's initial appeal to Jesus is simply to be left alone and not tormented like the countless people who live on the streets today who have simply stopped calling out. But in response to Jesus' question, this man says his name is Legion because we're told many demons had entered him. Overwhelmed by the many voices in his head, and the torment of his afflictions, he has lost his capacity to state his true name because he can no longer identify who he, he, who he himself is anymore. I think forgetting who we are is terrifying. Six weeks ago when Mother Kate asked if I would give a sermon this morning, I thought about how challenging it might be to find relevance in a story about demonic possession in our modern context. In seminary, we're taught that a, a good sermon communicates the, the good news of the gospel. And then when contemplating what I was going to say this morning, an 18-year-old kid walked into a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, wearing a tactical helmet, plated armor, and a GoPro camera on his head to live stream the killing of 10 people doing their Saturday morning grocery shopping. The shooter was a kid who was 18. And two weeks later, it happens again. Another 18-year-old kid walks into an elementary and fatally shoots 19 students, two teachers, wounds 17 people after wounding his own grandmother with the same gun. I cannot fathom the darkness both of these young men, children, must possess that created the rage that propelled them to prepare, plan, and carry out such an act. How could such fury and darkness go unnoticed by people they called friends, by their family members who sat with them at dinner and asked, so how was your day? or the merchants who enabled these kids with these weapons of death. Each time these mass shootings happen, people, people ask, who was the shooter? Of 
course, the media struggles with, do we publish their name? We always want to know the name of people. Living in our echo chambers and our social media bubbles seems to almost pervert who we are and our capacity to deal with the demons we all struggle to control, to understand, and to live with every day of our life. For some of us, the demons we battle are the result of a physical, emotional, or sexual trauma experienced when growing up. For others, the scars and pains of racism and discrimination. And for others, life setbacks, disappointments, and failures that blind us from experiencing the abundant life God hopes we embrace and share with each other. We live in challenging times, and it's increasingly difficult to define what is real and what is fake, what to believe and what to dismiss, because the evil in our world today seems to have so many faces and so many names, and we're all vulnerable to forces that seek to take us over take away our true names to separate us from a God who loves each of us. To lose our way and to forget who we are and whose we are. So where is the good news in this sermon today, you're asking? As Christians, by the water and Holy Spirit bestowed upon us when we were baptized, we are forgiven of our sin, raised to new life of grace, and sustained by the Holy Spirit that surrounds all of us. No matter life's circumstances, we do not walk alone. Our story today reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we are freed from carrying the burdens of our own sin because we've already been given the tools for eternal life. When we are the most tired and most struggling, he can give us rest and restoration with his enduring love. When we celebrate the Eucharist, we talk about a peace that surpasses all understanding. I think as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that is such a huge gift. While the many roles and faces we show the world can collectively obscure who we are and cause conflict in our lives, each Sundays, as disciples of Christ, we have an opportunity to enter God's house and to come home without any of the false pretenses or disguises we wear during the week and to be fully present with one another. But I think attending church means more than just sitting in the pews as a spectator. Putting our faith in action requires caring and loving each other, even when our neighbor or visitor looks or sounds nothing like us recognizing that the person we are sitting next to this morning
might need help breaking out of their own bondage and stocks that they wear but do not physically show. To help each other deal with the demons that we never talk about and are too afraid to share. I've now been with St. James for, for just about a year and I truly feel blessed to be a member of a congregation that does welcome all of God's people. No matter how we, how we arrive to church, how we spend our time during the week. I know from talking to many of you this past year that this church is a safe space for all of us to come to embrace our own brokenness and to cast out the demons we all wrestle with during the week. St. James is a place that helps, helps each of us to restore our identity. Each week we come together as a, as a church family. And while I must confess, I do not yet know everybody's name or your life stories or who you really are. I do know that both Mother Kate and Father John do. Their collective ministry is responsible for creating just a really unique setting where, where everybody really does know your name and this is a place that people are glad to come to. A ministry where we are reminded each week that we are all God's beloved children. No matter what we're doing, no matter the demons that we're struggling with, no matter where we find ourselves in our life. 